Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and inner standing. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, thank you for tuning in. Divine Nobody's podcast. How are you doing, Jen? You know, I'm doing okay, but my husband got the Rona. Your husband got the Rona? He did. He got the Rona. Seriously? Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah. So he's uh, down for the count right now and uh, I'm sleeping in the other room and, you know, socially distancing. That's really hard. Yeah. How long ago? When did that happen? Um, Saturday. And he he started out with really weird symptoms, like not typical Rona symptoms, right? You know, just uh-huh. um, he started out like 10 o'clock at night on Saturday and started throwing up and no fever. Like that was it. And he was like, yeah, I just feel a little achy. And I was like, oh, maybe you're coming down with something. And, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Did you the next get it, Jen? No, I didn't. You know what it is? It's that RH negative blood. It is. I know. You know what I, I know mean? that's what it is. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. We talked about it's this crazy. a little bit before the podcast, but it's like you guys were, you guys lived together. You guys interact mm-hmm. with each other. You were telling yeah. me that you guys were getting all close to each other. Well, yeah, he's my husband. Yeah, exactly. So the, it's like, how, is, how is it that you things? didn't, how, how is it that you didn't catch that? It's that fucking alien DNA, Jen. It's the alien DNA. You're right. Because um, I've been exposed like multiple times. I have stayed an entire week with my parents in a hotel. And we shared a hotel room. We went to dinner every night and both of them had it and I still didn't get it. Crazy. Oh my goodness. And yeah. you took a test and you came out negative. Yeah. I took three. Yeah. Well, something in the universe that wants you alive because that's a very, so. very easy thing to get. Yeah. Yeah. So he's doing good though, right? It's not yeah, the worst doing- thing that he's experienced. Yeah, no, it's it's not too bad. He, um, But he started on ivermectin pretty early. So I think that, that that's helping. So he's doing pretty good. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, good for him. I was going to go, I was going to open it up and be like, you know what? The sun is shining. Actually, no, it's like (laughs) 7.34 PM. Sun's not shining. And I was talking about like, you know, my plants are just properly watered. Everything looks good. My cat's actually made a permanent residence on my podcasting table, by the way. Oh yeah? Yeah. She's just like chilling here right next to me. So sweet. And uh, it looks like she's here to stay. Well, we love her. She's a sweetie. She can stay. Yeah. Yeah. So glad everybody's in good health. And I hope everybody out there that's listening is also in good health as well. We're all in this together. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue going through this and exploring this new world and adjusting accordingly. We wanted to bring it into uh, a subject that me and Jen have been talking about prior to the podcast. And there's a reason why this actually came up. It, it came up because Jen had encountered a new endeavor, something that I think yeah. that you can probably probably share, but really, really big life-changing moments for you, right? Huge life-changing moment. Yeah. So I left uh, the big pharmaceutical industry that I've been in for the last, well, I don't know, 13 years and went into a startup in psychedelics. So for those of you that are interested in having a psychedelic experience with ketamine um, to maybe help resolve depression um, that hasn't been resolved with, you know, typical SSRIs or, you know, uh, traditional therapy, uh, we're available. So Field Trip Health is the name of the company. They just provide a beautiful setting to have psychedelic-based therapy. Yeah. And this is FDA approved treatment, yeah. mm-hmm. right? It is. Yeah. And a lot of people are familiar with MAPS, the multi- Disciplinary Association of uh, Psychedelic Research, and they're making a lot of progress. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of like information coming out about the sort of clinical benefits to treatments like that. So yeah, the reason why I think this is really, really important, I've known Jen for a long time, known her since mm-hmm. I think like 2014, 2015. And of course, mm-hmm. uh, we were both evolving during that time. We were kind of at the very clutches of our spiritual journey and exploring the dynamics of that together. It's interesting to see how you've evolved. And I wanted to ask you, um, just really quickly, because I think this is a really profound story because that's a really big jump. It's, and it's huge. we kind of met during that time where you were starting to explore that spiritual dimension through lots of different things. And to make a jump that big, what do you think was the catalyst for you? You know, I really think it had a lot to do with COVID and being home and just kind of doing an evaluation of my life, right? And this podcast certainly helped kind of broaden my spiritual my spiritual knowledge. And the more educated I became, the harder it was to turn my back on not being my true and authentic self. So leaving, you know, big pharma and leaving a corporate industry, everyone I worked with, like really had no idea who I was. I mean, didn't know about my podcast, didn't know that I was a spiritual person. Just at work, I was a completely different person. Um, And I didn't really talk about my personal life, right? So 
it's really kind of cool to be out of the spiritual closet and be in an environment with like-minded people and just be my true and authentic self. It's amazing. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. And that's something that I think a lot of us, especially nowadays, is trying to strive for, which is alignment. Alignment. Right. Exactly. That was something that we talked about, I think, on our last podcast, which is like being in alignment, like mm-hmm. aligning your heart and your spirit with your passion and things that you want to do, what type of impact that you're making in the world. And it takes a lot of courage to do that because there's a lot of people that are in bullshit jobs that they're unhappy, maybe soul crushing type of jobs. Yeah. And there's this uh, side, there's this energy inside of them that doesn't feel like they're doing justice to their own lives. So they want to strive and endeavor for something much bigger. The podcast that we're going to be talking about today is going to be just that, the dangers and meaningless work and the power of creativity. This is something that I think all of us can relate to. So we're going to get really deep into that. We're going to discuss a little bit more about Jen's journey as well, because it is very inspiring how that sort of thing unfolded, not necessarily just the job and the career opportunity for you, but the journey that led you to that space. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, interesting statistic, I was talking to to Jeremy about this, and uh, he has a relationship with LinkedIn. And the statistics on LinkedIn right now are that 48% of the people on LinkedIn are looking for a job. And I thought that that was really interesting and kind of a testament to my own experience, right? You know, a lot of people have felt like they need more meaning and more purpose in the work that they do every day. And this, you know, past year and a half of working from home has really changed what work looks like. So, oh yeah, and absolutely. What, you know, happiness and job satisfaction look like. So it can even come down to this simple allowance of these corporations that previously wouldn't allow employees to work remotely from home, right? right? Having to go into an office every single day takes a lot of your personal time. Oh my God. There's a so lot much. worked into getting up, getting ready at a certain time. Time, driving in traffic, you especially have a commute, if you, live you in get LA. there. Shit. Yeah, especially especially when you're in LA, which is where I am. And I'm coming from experience because my my employer did the same thing. Well, we're working remotely for the last year and a half. And that is a certain type of freedom that we're not typically allotted from our employers. You're given the freedom to work in a space that is comfortable for you. And there's a certain sort of like flow and happiness and uh, beauty and grace that comes along with working in an environment that is conducive to your own creativity. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I recognize from that experience is how much more fluid my productivity is. The team, even just in general, overall productivity increased. So a lot of people are really enjoying that. But I'm starting to notice that a lot of these sort of managers are starting to recognize the fact that a lot of employees work so much better when they're not within the confines of this sort of restricted business floor that people have to go into every single day. Yeah, you're tired. You had a long commute. You're wearing uncomfortable clothes. Most likely if you're in, you know, office type attire, whenever you're ready for your break, you're just sitting in the same spot. You know, whenever you're at home, you can go take a break on your couch and, you know, maybe make some tea or you know, do whatever. The only thing yeah. I don't like about working from home is I do miss an, the interaction with people. Like I miss interacting with my coworkers and having those like, you know, you have your your friends at work that are like your your pals and you wouldn't ever see them otherwise. Like you don't see them on your personal time. You only see them at work. So yeah. I do kind there, of miss that aspect. But there are definitely exceptions um, to that. And I agree with you, but there are people that are in jobs where they absolutely just hate everything that they're doing, right? Agreed. They hate the people that they work with and yeah. having the opportunity to work from home. I I think, and this topic came up and this subject came up because I think that little bit of freedom that they were awarded having previously not been given has made people realize how important it is to do the things that you love in the way that you want to do it. So I wanted to start it off, if we could, if we could, Jen, with a little story. I I always like to start it off with a little story. My little Mr. Rogers coming out. Everybody (laughs) gather around, get your hot cocoa or- Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off, light the fire. Pet your cat, all those things. Everybody gather together. Okay, so this is a Zen story, Jen. A martial arts student went to his teacher and he said, earnestly, he said, I am devoted to studying your martial arts system. He's like, well, how long will it take to master it? How long will it take me to master it, sir? And the teacher replies just in a really casual way. He's like, 10 years. And so impatiently, impatiently, the student answered, but I want to master it faster than that. I will work very hard. I'll practice every day. 10 or more hours a day, if I have to, I'll get up at 3 a.m. in the morning and just fucking crush it. How long will it take then, sir? And the teacher thought for a moment. He says, 20 years. <laughs> Good one. That's funny, right? Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the moral of this story is that impatience becomes a block to flow because it is a practice about mastering your craft, but it's important to not discount the amount of time it takes to sit with your art, to feel the emotions that come along with it. The master knows that rushing through it will not result in success. It must become a practice and that is not bound by a certain time frame. 
this is some this is a really sort of profound story because we tend to get in our own way when it comes to most things that we do, especially creatively, professionally. So the master says, really clear cut, and he knows because he has experience behind his martial arts, everything that he does. So when a kid comes and he's like, look, I, want, I, I can consolidate this, I can make this happen, I can crush the time in half, how long will it take? And in his mind, he's like, oh, this kid doesn't mm-hmm. understand that the flow, that the journey is every bit as responsible for how he masters his craft as the craft itself. Absolutely. So what that says, 20 years, you just added 10 years onto that 10 years. Mm-hmm. So we make it a lot more harder than it is. Totally. You know what I mean? So I have a, a shortened version of that story. It's something my grandma used to always say. She'd say, haste makes waste. So haste anytime you're trying waste. to like hurry or rush through something, it's never as good as you intended. And uh, it ends up just being a waste of your time. Oh, yeah. Those little Southern grandmas know. Yeah. Because you know? if, you if, you, if you don't take your time, you're going to end up burning the butter biscuits. That's right. Take your time. Yeah. 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 And grandma <laughs> Be knows. Purposeful. Exactly. They know. So I have some research that shows that a lack of purpose can damage your health and your well-being. There was a survey that was conducted by employment firm investors in people, IIP, otherwise known as IIP. They found that an incredible 60%, this was done in the UK, 60% of UK workers are unhappy with their current positions. Uh, One of the main reasons is that this is the case often attributed to the fact that they feel locked into a specific role Mm -hmm. and that they're unable to make real changes. Right. And then the survey also discovered that a staggering three out of four of the 12,000 people, because the, the survey was conducted by 12,000 people, people surveyed three out of four felt stressed about work when 64% reporting workplace stress was negatively impacting their sleeping patterns. Right? That's oh, yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. I feel like that's the most common ailment is work, increasing stress, increasing cortisol, making you gain weight and also affecting your sleep patterns. I think sleep patterns is like probably number one. I feel like nowadays it's a lot more pronounced and we'll get into this because I feel like millennials have a really, are, are, are hugely responsible for how quickly the work environment is changing. Mm, I you know? agree. So I think many large corporations run on a pretty antiquated work model where they value their customers more than their actual employees. And this is something that I learned from Simon Sinek because it's true. It's true. Corporations, they worry more about their customers than they do the employees. I oh, think that's sure. a yeah. pretty old fashioned way of looking at things. Because this leads to a work-life environment where employees don't feel valued in their work. So what's the real goal? Is the goal to make money or is the goal to uh, what millennials are quickly changing the landscape in, which is employers are starting to value their employees more? Because if you value your employees more, then that leads to more productivity. That leads to the employees actually being able to be there for the customers. And I think that's a, a better route to take. One thing that I wanted to talk about millennials, because I'm a millennial and I've had experience with this. The way that millennials, for me, are changing the workplace is I want to look back at kind of the dynamic of what a millennial is. Uh, a, a lot of how they operate in the workplace has to do with, and I'm just going to say this up front, failed parenting strategies. We live in a society where a lot of families are divorced or their parents are they're raised by one, one parent and that parent's often working or both parents are often working, mm-hmm. right? We can't afford to not work these days. So what happens is we end up raising children that are radically independent, Yeah. radically independent. And instead of you having the time to actually raise your kid, what the children do is instead of seeking validation from the parent, they seek validation from their peers, right. from social media, yep. from the workplace. Yep. And uh, that is one thing. But at the same time, we live in a technology-driven instant gratification sort of environment where mm-hmm. they're addicted more or less to instant gratification. Anything exactly. that a millennial does, they expect it to happen like that, yeah, like right, right away, away. Mm-hmm. right? And this sort of enters itself into the career in a very specific way that is both good and bad. So with millennials, they struggle with jobs that don't create an impact for them because again, they're not looking for validation in a lot of ways. They're being raised by their peers. They're being raised by their careers that they they choose. Millennials are all about creating an impact. From my experience, a lot of corporations, large Large corporations are, have a lot of difficulty with millennials quitting a lot of their jobs. Mm-hmm. They have a really high turnover. And yeah. because of, I think it's one out of three people that are in the workforce are millennials, that's a really big problem. So corporations yeah. are having to reevaluate how they do business to cater to a lot of these millennials. They don't want them to quit because a lot of them quit because they feel like, oh, I'm not making an impact. And, and, and they're so impatient to wait for promotions and raises. They feel like, oh, right. I've been here three months. I should you know, have a six figure income. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you really have to gain the experience and 
and really understand what you're doing, you know, before you get promotions and raises. So having managed some millennials, I can tell you it's tough because they, they expect to save the world every time they hit send on an email and that's just not reality. (laughs) Yeah. They're really, really impatient, right? Those like expecting instant results to everything. They're like, Oh, I'm not making an impact, but this is how it ties into our podcast that we're going to talk about is the journey is so important. And that's the one thing that I think that we're missing in this sort of world of instant gratification and you make a post and you get 700,000 likes within five hours or you can order Postmates and have it to your home in like 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, everything that we do, there isn't so much of a lag. And so that bleeds into this sort of journey when it comes to finding a career because we completely dismiss the fact that there is a journey that takes place in order to try and get to the end result, which is success in most cases. So they have trouble finding meaning and a lot of them just quit their jobs. I think it becomes uh, really difficult for them to remain consistent in the workplace. So I think this all comes down to meaning. And there's a quote that I wanted to share. Um, and this was from Jordan Peterson, where he says, it is a luxury to pursue what makes us happy, but it is a moral obligation to pursue what is meaningful and depending on which one of these you follow, I think is going to gauge how you go about trying to be successful. Because if you're somebody that is looking for success or you're somebody that is looking for meaning, I think those are connected, but there are two different types of perspectives there that I think are really important to look at because success is almost like an endpoint and meaning is a sort of building up and a journey that sort of takes you through the realm of self-discovery and getting to the end result. Right. Yeah. The fun is in the journey. That's what the millennials are missing out on. The journey's fun, you know, even even in times when it's really hard. Yeah. You know, Jordan Peterson, I read a little bit of his stuff, you know, surrounding this topic and he had some comments that, you know, when you're doing work that you don't find meaningful, um, it makes you resentful, irritated and unmotivated, which I totally agree with. Mm-hmm. I found myself feeling those feelings in, in jobs that I've had in the past. But I thought that this was this was kind of inter- interesting. So his advice was to speak up and to speak up early and tell your boss, like, no, I think what this is that you asked me to do is stupid and it's not making me motivated and I don't want to do it. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that there's a balance and a way to challenge your superior, right? But his rationale behind that was most people will not stand up for themselves. Most people are not really that courageous. So whenever you challenge your superior, usually they'll back down. And um, I think that there's a little bit of truth to that too. But I just thought it was interesting, that kind of advice, you know? Yeah, I think think that the core of what we're talking about here has to come down to self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Really taking time to get to know yourself. And I know this is, this is something that we say a lot on the podcast. And the reason because is because we'd be surprised at how many people don't see getting to know yourself as an option. Yeah. A lot of people are motivated by what other people are doing, right? And this is partially due to our social media and Instagram accounts, Mm -hmm. right? We see somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk or we see somebody like, um, you know, like Jay Shetty doing what they do and they say, okay, I want to do that. I want to, to get at what that person is doing. And so the thought comes into their mind, okay, well, maybe I'm going to get on this sort of influencer boat and just start pushing out content. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at the end result as being the sort of the, the collective value of what they're trying to chase without really looking at the hard work that somebody puts in in order to get there. They're right. consumed by the byproduct, the amount of likes, the monetary gain that they get from pursuing these type of endeavors, but they completely forget the amount of work that it takes to make a video, to do a podcast, right. to spend the hours and hours and hours that it takes mastering your craft. That's a really, really important thing to consider. And the only way that, the only thing that's going to power you through that process is by doing something that you're absolutely passionate about. You're not going to spend all of that time no. on something that you are not passionate about. And the reason why people like Gary Vaynerchuk or Jay Shetty, they're so consistent and they're so prolific in what they do is because they genuinely have passion and love and they just love doing what they do. And that's the one thing that I think some people are missing is that they do it because they believe that's what they should be doing based off of what they imagine their peers think that they should be doing. They completely miss the whole journey involved in getting there. I mean, what anyone else thinks they should be doing. Yeah, Yeah. that's actually uh, Gary Vanderchek's like, number one advice that he always gives is to not start a business that you're not passionate about because just like you said, in the dark times, that passion is what's going to pull you through. And in any business, there's always dark times. It's never, you know, rainbows and butterflies the entire time. Yeah. And then that's, that's sort of like the, the dangers about social media because we're posting all day long 
the greatest moments of our lives, the mm-hmm. most memorable moments of our lives. Right. You know, you spend some time on social media and you're like, man, why the fuck does everybody have such cool lives? Right. And why is everybody just <laughs> crushing it all the time? Yeah. And it becomes so easy for the ego to identify that as a reality. It's like, oh, everybody's out there doing something and everybody's out there crushing it except for me. Mm-hmm. And so you feel this impulse to create without ever, without actually even checking in with yourself about whether or not you're passionate about creating. Right. And so you go and you start doing this empty work, expecting to arrive to that place of success within an instant. Right. We become really hard on ourselves by, you know, when we don't get those likes, when we don't right. get the views, when we don't make money in our businesses. But the one thing that we're missing is that we don't know ourselves enough to know that we're doing this for the right reasons. You yeah. know, Agreed. it's so important to love what you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think how we handle love is a really good indicator for how we handle our professional life. You know, do we rush into things on dates, on our relationships, or do we take our time? You know, because the one thing that I've experienced, and you know, you probably experienced too, Jen, which is like, you know, you rush into any relationship, either one, she's going to pick up on it, he's going to pick up on it, and they're going to be like, okay, red flag number one, Mm -hmm. or you rush into a relationship and you guys go full speed into that, inevitably ends, because there's a disparity there. You're trying to get to this sort of romanticized perspective in your mind of how this relationship should go, and you end up getting your getting in your own way because you're not respecting the fact that there's a journey that is involved in really getting to know somebody. So if you're somebody that rushes into relationships, maybe pay attention to yeah. how you operate in the professional life. Because if you're somebody that takes your time, then that will indicate that you actually care about yourself and what you do. Yeah. There's so many good things that come from whenever you actually find purpose in your work and you're doing work that makes you feel fulfilled, the wonderful things that can happen. And I actually was reading a little bit about this on uh, Inc.com. They had a couple suggestions about this. And they said the first one was that it increases your productivity. And this one I thought was super obvious because, I don't know, whenever you whenever you have a direction and whenever you don't have direction, I'm sorry, and you're kind of like dreading each task and going into work like, oh, fuck, not again. Uh, white bread again. Oh. You're not really that motivated to get your job done. So I think whenever you have a really clear vision of the company and a clear vision of what you're doing, you, you tend to just create more and it doesn't increase your productivity. Yeah. And I think uh, as human beings or social creatures, what comes up for me is Dunbar, Dunbar's number. Dunbar's number is this sort of theory, which is that human beings can only recollect up to about 100 and 150 interpersonal relationships at once, right? And this is uh, kind of speaks to tribalism in a way, because okay. it means that within smaller groups, it's easy for us to find meaning because we, we interact more we get to know the people that we're working with, but considering the fact that we don't live in that type of world anymore. Mm-hmm. We've stretched far beyond sort of Dunbar's number of 100, 150 people. So it's no surprise that yeah. the connections that we have with other people start to become more meaningless. Yeah. And we start to struggle with where we fit in that sort of cog of human sort of like affiliations. The whole point isn't to, of course, escape the whole game, but to adapt to a maladaptive sort of situation. It's not natural for us to try and operate within the confines of a, a machine that's just as big as it is now. Mm-hmm. And so I think it really comes down to getting to know yourself and inquiring with yourself as to what it is that makes you happy and what it is that sort of drives your ship. I think that human beings are constantly struggling with their heart and their mind, what their heart wants and what their mind wants, right? So your mind wants security. It wants stability. It wants this predictive life that it can gauge from moment to moment because that's that feeling of security gives you in that sort of sense of survival. And I think what your mm-hmm. heart wants is creativity and adventure, you know, and, but we want both. And so totally. our whole process of trying to find a career is the, one of the most spiritual journeys that we can go on because in spirituality, we're trying to do just that. We're trying to integrate our spirit in our heart. Yeah, absolutely. Not jumping ship on one or the other. So trying to learn how to integrate that. So how do we go about doing that? A lot of us are in jobs that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Some people have this sort of all or nothing mentality. Well, I think in a mo- the most practical way, you could do what I think me and you do, which is like you have your career, but you also have your passions outside of that. And you learn to juggle both of those things. Oh, yeah. And, and we don't we do not do those things. Uh, and the only reason why we're able to do that, and of course, it's difficult work, is because we love to do these things. Yeah. You know, you know I, there's another way too. So if you happen to be one of those people that's unhappy in your job and you feel stuck for financial obligations and financial reasons, take a look at 
other areas in your company. So sometimes you will have a skill set that maybe you can transfer to another department or may, maybe start to learn new skills that are a little bit more aligned with your goals. That isn't always the case. So sometimes there just really isn't anywhere to go and you need to go and look outside. But the problem is that we have a tendency to go after the same type of jobs because that's where our experience is, right? And going from making X amount of dollars to a less number of amount of dollars um, to do something that maybe you really want to do or have interest in, but have no experience in is a really hard transition. Um, And it's also hard because we're doing something that we've kind of been programmed to do. So there's a lot to be said about the patterns that we create in our brains. So when you do the same thing every single day, it's hard to break free from that pattern that you've created. So even trying something small, like taking a different route to work, like is an easy way and a simple way to help break some of those cycles and break those patterns. Yeah. So I think what what comes up for me is like, is balance, right? Because when mm -hmm. I think of repetition, I think of ego, I think of the mind's need for security. Because mm-hmm. behind that repetition is this knowing that you're going to get paid mm-hmm. and this knowing that you're going to be able to put food on the table, this knowing that you're going to be able to survive. But there's always this uh, this deeper side, I think, in human beings that aspires to be creative and to pursue passions. And you can still get all those things like money. I think that's kind of like what Jordan Peterson was talking about, which is like, you know, it's a luxury to pursue what makes us happy. Makes us happy is is money in that regard, but we have a moral obligation to pursue what is meaningful. Meaningful is something a little different. Meaningful is tapping into the unknown, sort mm-hmm. of creative aspect of who we are. Everybody has something inside that they're good at, something that they'd rather be doing other than just the sort of nine to five that they're doing. Well, how do you tap into that? Totally. You know? Yeah. Well, money's energy. So anytime you're doing something that makes you happy and makes you feel grateful that you're finding purpose in, more wealth is going to come because the universe is sending that that vibration out. Anything that you're thinking, you know, uh, your thoughts and your vibration are attracting um, what you're thinking and feeling. So if you're thinking and feeling, I'm happy, I love my job, this is great, all that's going to do is create more wealth for you. So, you know, people think like, oh, I'm going to make this jump and I'm going to leave, leave my job and I'm going to be making less money elsewhere. Um, just keep in mind that that's usually only temporary because whenever you are happier and you find more purpose and you feel um, more gratitude, the wealth comes. And I think it, it just bringing it back to, to self-love. If mm-hmm. we practice self-love and, and really understanding what it means to nurture and care for ourselves, we'll nurture and care for the things that we do at the same time, right? So instead of going out there and trying to you know, get a job doing what it is that you love, I think a really great route to take is to work on understanding who you are, mm-hmm. what you represent, what you're about. Right. And it sort of flowers from there. You know, it reminds me of this quote by Buddha that says, success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. If you love what you're doing, then you will be successful. And the only way that you will get a grasp on that is by fully understanding what you're capable of, mm-hmm. you know, and then and that comes along with getting to know yourself and loving yourself. Yeah. You can't discover where you fit in the world until you go through this sort of arduous journey of figuring out where you don't belong first. Oh yeah, you that's know? for sure. Yeah. You, you I mean, will get meaning faster by failing than you will by focusing only on the successes that you have. That's the one thing that I notice about people with with successes. They don't really learn a whole lot from it. At least I haven't, you know? Oh, no, you never learn from your success. You only learn from your failures. I was, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, if you had the opportunity, if a fucking genie came out of a bottle, like right now, and was like, look, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I can erase all of the negative experiences in your life and all of the traumas in your life and all the times that you failed from your life and give you the ability to only keep the good moments in your mind and in your consciousness. Would you do it? And if you, and if so, how would that feel? What would success feel like to you? Like what type of person would you be? Yeah. You'd become it, half a person. You'd be right, fragmented. It loses its value. It loses its value. So I think this whole thing with meaningless work and the dangers of it really, really, really need to understand how important it is to love what you do. Because if you do love what you do, then that whole journey of all the innocuous things that happen and getting to the end result, all of those sort of arduous processes of staying up late, getting up really early will become so worth it. Because when I think back of my successes and the things that I succeeded at, what comes up in my mind was all the time that I dedicated to doing it simply for the fact that I loved to do it. I didn't even really think of it as 
a struggle. I looked at it as like, wow, I get the opportunity Mm -hmm. to every single day wake up and just crush it and spend time doing this sort of thing. You know, I've spent a lot of time just inquiring with myself what it is that I'm passionate about, mainly because I spent a large period of my life doing things that I fucking hated, you know, (laughs) doing things that are soul crushing things. Yeah. You know, there's a really good exercise that I did um, from Joe Dispenza's book, Becoming Supernatural. So the exercise, and this is how I manifested my new job. So if anybody needs help on manifesting, I'm about to tell you how to do it because this shit worked. So um, what you do is you write your name in the, middle of the, in the middle of a sheet of paper and underneath it, you write what you're trying to manifest. So I wrote career because I was trying to manifest a career, but you can manifest a relationship, a car, like any type of material thing, just whatever it is that you're looking to bring into your life love, whatever. So I wrote career and on the left side, you write the qualities that you want in this job. So mine was job. So I wrote the qualities that I wanted in a job. And then on uh, the right side, you write the feelings that you're going to have once that takes place. So in said wonderful job that I wrote down all the qualities I wanted, I would feel X, Y, and Z way. So So it's basically your thoughts on the left side and your emotions on the right side. So what I wrote on mine, I should have printed it out so I could show it to you. But um, on the left side, I wanted a a job where I could pretty much work from anywhere and where I had freedom, that I made X number of dollars, and then I felt like I was making a difference. So those were the things that I put on um, the qualities of, you know, said job that was coming into my life. And um, on the right side, how it was going to make me feel, it was going to make me feel free. It was going to make me feel a high level of happiness and job satisfaction. It was going to make me feel fulfilled and less stressed. So that's what I asked for. And that was um, eight months ago that I did this exercise and I found it because it's in my dream journal and I found it and I was reading through it and I was like, oh my gosh, literally every single thing that I wrote down is what my new job is. Every single thing. I forgot that I even did it, but uh, it definitely works. So there's something about putting a pen to paper to manifest whatever it is that you want. Yeah, because you're intermingling it with action. I remember a story that I heard about Jim Carrey. This was before, I think he did in Living Color back in the day before he was successful. And he wrote out a check for like $3 million and he put it in his wallet. He wrote a check to himself. Lo and behold, Jim Carrey, of course, everybody knows who he is. He's probably a fucking millionaire. Mm -hmm. But affirmations... uh, those type of things are really powerful, not just because you're envisioning what your future must be like, but if you are bringing that energy into your space, you're affirming to yourself that you're capable of doing this, like action is behind everything that you do from that point on. And this is one thing I want to make really, really clear, which is, you know, you don't want to get into the, the sort of clutches of ego when it comes to romanticizing your career or passions because it can get stuck there and not move. So it's easier to pretend and imagine who you want to be than it is to actually commit to being who you want to be because it's less risky uh, for the ego to pretend, but it's destructive for the spirit which yearns to create. The ego is comfortable to flirt with the idea of success than it is to fully commit to actions that embody the success that you want. So there's an incentive for ego to continue romanticizing your dreams and your goals, but only you, the action the love that you have for yourself is going to manifest that into form. And you really need to spend some time implementing that into action and hard work and dedication to that very thing is what's going to bring that from the spiritual realm, the fourth dimension into this 3D sort of material realm. It's like this weird alchemy that takes place where we're tapping into this reservoir of creativity. It's like the unknown space and bringing it into form. And that's one of the hardest fucking things to do for people because they don't know where to start in what they do is they hop online and they see all these other people doing that very thing and they think, okay, it should look like that. Mm -hmm. I should do it this way. And they get stuck. They get stuck in imitation. And that's the one thing that the ego absolutely wants to happen. It wants to imitate, but that is Mm -hmm. a trap because imitation is not creativity. You have to pay really close attention to, to whether or not you're authentically and genuinely creating because you're passionate or creating because you're trying to imitate somebody that you see embodies some level of success that you have yeah. to really pay attention to the ego. Yeah. And, and a lot of people get married to a certain idea whenever they're manifesting, they're trying to manifest this one specific person, you know, like, Ooh, I have a crush on, you know, I have a crush on Eric. So I'm going to Ooh, sit here and, and, uh, manifest Eric into my life. And it's like, no, 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 no. You, you don't want to do that. you, you have a crush on Eric. Why do you have a crush on Eric? Because you 
um, you like how spiritual he is. You like how kind he is. You like how handsome he is. Oh, I'm here. I'm here. Here he is. Here he is. So... (laughs) So whenever you're trying to manifest, don't attach that manifestation to one specific person. Attach it to qualities that you want in an individual. And if Eric is aligned to you, Eric will come into your life. But there's a good chance that there's somebody else out there that has those same qualities that Eric has and even more that are uh, in better alignment with you. Nah, Jen, I'm going to kick down the fucking door like the Kool-Aid guy and be like, oh, yeah. It was me. It's me me all along. You want some Kool-Aid? You want some purple drink? Oh yeah. my God, the Kool-Aid guy. I totally forgot about him. Remember that guy? He's just going <laughs> yeah. around kicking. You remember those commercials when they like the Kool-Aid guy just pings through the door and everybody's like shocked and they absolutely should be. Imagine what you do if you were in like a, you know, $2 million house and the fucking Kool-Aid guy just smashes through your wall. Through your window, yeah. And spills red ass Kool-Aid all over my couch yeah. and, and my you rug. Can't get that, you can't get that oh. shit out. No, you, you know can't. What I mean? No. Yeah. So what you're talking about is like bringing it from your mind into your heart. Yes. You know, I think this is a really good parable. And not attaching it, like not attaching it to a specific thing. Like when I was trying to manifest this job, I would, if somebody would have told me, oh, your next job, you're going to be working in psychedelics. I would have been like, you are fucking high. You have lost your mind. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, but I didn't attach it to a specific job. I just said, I want these qualities in this job and I want to feel this way and whatever job comes my way. And also being open to the opportunity and having an open mind whenever these opportunities present themselves, entertain them. Yeah. I think one thing that's really important to um, really talk about is resistance, right? Mm. There's everything in life, earth, earth. If I had like a little, if I had a movie and like the little slogan of the movie would be like the the little subtitle would be like earth, the place where everybody wants to kill you, right? Like (laughs) earth is very, very much, you're very much at odds when it, with nature, when it comes to earth, right? It's a loving place, but if you're not careful, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble, Right. right. So how this works into what I'm talking about is there's this sort of collective fear in seemingly eccentric ideas and dreams. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you have a whole lot of like jealousy and envy worked into the fabric of our culture. If you have an, a, a, a new idea, an innovative idea, there are a lot of other people out there that are jealous of the fact that you have that and they don't or they have that and they don't want you to have it. So you're always met with resistance. And at this point, I think a lot of people shy away from trying to make an impact because that resistance is there. Mm-hmm. They fear rejection. They fear loss. They fear that dream not coming to fruition. The one thing that you just really need to understand is that you have to push through that shit. You know, right. you know Steve Jobs got fired from his own company in the very <laughs> beginning from Macintosh. Yeah. Right? From his own company. Mm-hmm. And that motherfucker came back and, you know, everybody knows who Apple is today. It's like you don't shy away from the resistance that you feel to any one sort of endeavor. That resistance is the absolute best catalyst for growth that you have because that resistance is going to show you where you're at in your journey, where you're showing up, where you need to spend more time. And I think the most important thing is to not fear that resistance that comes up while you're trying to manifest your dreams. And, and the ego, perfect example, because the ego is based in this sort of 3D, because it's a part of nature. It has an instinctual sort of impulse to react with fear every now and again. So if you have an idea that comes up and you start romanticizing a really important dream, that same ego, and this is the cleverness of the ego that I notice, and I think other people notice too, especially when we put so much trust in it, which is it's the same ego that will say, you know what, that's a great idea. You should definitely do that. I fully support that. That same ego is the ego that's going to psych you out of not doing it, mm-hmm. right? So the yep. ego plays both sides of the fence. Oh, and this is the little scoundrel that it is. And this is scoundrel. the reason why you shouldn't take all of your advice and guidance from your own ego. You should take it from your heart. Mm-hmm. So if you have an idea, don't rely on your ego in order to help you manifest your dreams. You can create the idea with your ego and then you bring it into your heart, which is that one sort of area of your body that moves. Because it's the thing, the, the ego is a ghost. I mean, there's this quote that I came up with the other day, Jen. I'm going to share it with you. The ego is a ghost that nobody sees, but the heart is an organ that lives and breathes. That was actually an abbreviated version of it, but Mm -hmm. that's pretty much the basis of what my quote is. Oh, no, it says, it says, the ego is a ghost which no one sees, yet the heart is a rhythm that lives and breathes. So what Ah. I'm trying to convey here is that the heart is moving. It is actively reinforced in the moment that you're in. It resembles movement. It resembles motion. And if you're trying to create, manifest something, the heart's going to help you do that because the heart has energy behind it. Mm -hmm. It can help you 
along your path to implement your dreams into action. So true. And that's another Joe Dispenza teaching is to get your your mind and your heart in uh, alignment. He calls that heart coherence. Yeah, heart coherence. And then creativity. You know, it's hard to define creativity. You might as well not even try and define creativity because the second you try and define it, it ceases to be creative. Nobody really knows where creative creativity comes from. I think the ego tries to interpret the creative realm, but we only really get to know creativity by being amongst the creative force, mm-hmm. right? right? Creativity is when you're fully tapped into whatever it is that you're doing, you're in the flow state. And I thought about this, you know, what is what is creativity? My sort of Libra romanticized version of it is that Creativity is a love story between you and God, and we leave remnants of that love story in the trail of beautiful art and music and poetry we leave behind in the wake of a sort of beautiful dance or evening that we spend with God. You know, art's like our our Polaroid we take with a lover during a a sunset or like a memorable type of experience. Mm -hmm. It's like proof that you've been there with God. So our art is God speaking directly through you and affirming to you that yes, God absolutely exists. Creativity is your conversation, ongoing conversation with God. That yeah. It's this love story that you have with just the creative process. And the byproduct of that creativity, what is produced from that creativity, it isn't so much about whether or not you're going to be successful as a result, but it's just this unbelievable appreciation with what comes as a result of that conversation with God. Like when I create anything, like when I start creating uh, organite pyramids, there was this something really tangible about that whole process. It placed me into this sort of flow state that I really appreciated. And when I finished like a piece, I would just look at it and be like, oh, wow. This is, wow. I didn't, the, the idea of like how much money I can make from doing this didn't even cross my mind. Mm-hmm. And the same thing when it comes to this podcast. Whether or not we reach thousands of people, whether or not this goes out to 50,000 people or just one person, that whole thought doesn't take up as much space in my mind as just the, the the love and the passion that I have for just doing it. Right. You know, because I learn not only about, you know, spirituality, but also so much about myself through this process. Like I'm actively engaged in this process of learning about myself through trying to understand these sort of principles. So yeah. it's about like where you place the value in your work. Do you do it because you love it or do you do it because you're trying to become wealthy? Because a lot of people that are successful, that have hundreds and thousands of dollars, just say celebrities, for example. A lot of those people are fucking miserable, Jen. Oh, yeah. So true. I have a a very close friend that you and I both know that was a millionaire and, you know, had girls and cars and the great, you know, high-rise place that was decorated beautifully and, you know, just an entourage of people around him all the time. And he dressed nice and he was fun to be around but then you know things took a turn because he was so miserable and he hated what he was doing every day that he just stopped doing it so rather than you know having a backup plan or you know doing something else he just 100% stopped doing what he was doing and went into this like major depression and um, he never really recovered from it he lost all of his wealth and now he's just doing what he wants to do out of out of his garage you know woodworking and and doing doing other things that that make him happy do I think that, do I look at him now as a happier person? I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's different ways to go about it. Uh, if you're looking at making a huge career change and a major life change, um, like you said, like doing uh, an evaluation on who you are as a person and really understanding who you are and what you want to do and aligning yourself with your goals rather than just like giving up on everything. I don't know what, my, yeah. what the point of that story was. No, I I, but that is just a perfect example it. of what happens when you lose, pa- lose passion for what you do. Yeah. Yes. You know, that those are two sort of polar, polar opposites of sort of like the 3d realm that we're in, which is like you have people either chasing after wealth or you have people chasing after this need for meaning in their life. And, and success is such a fleeting thing. Like Free. you have it once and you get it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you learn a whole lot from it. You know, I think the ground of meaningful work comes from how it contributes not only to your own well-being, but how it contributes to somebody else. You know, it's driven by love. And I think that is probably the sole reason behind why anybody does anything, whether or not it's love for the self or if it's love for other people. If you're somebody that is um, engulfed in a certain passion project where it helps you cultivate self-love, it's sort of like this ongoing conversation with God, that's one thing. If if you're somebody that's doing something of service to other people, that's another thing too. I think love is at the very, very core of all of this. You know, I, but it yeah. makes reminds me of the story. I and this is this is going back to like the more 3D career type of stuff. I worked at JPL 
the, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory of NASA for about five years back when the Mars rover uh, was being launched and worked down at this space assembly building. And even to this day, I can't even, I don't even understand how I even got the job working there. But I used to work alongside the director of space and engineering. And I was able to sit in on some really interesting interviews between him and other engineers. I was in the interview and they were bringing people that had doctorates, people that had really amazing degrees in engineering. I'd sit in these interviews and I was like, okay, yeah, this person absolutely has the credentials to sit here and work on fucking spaceships. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, this guy's probably going to hire him. And after the interviews, um, I remember having this conversation with them. I was like, what is it that you look for when it comes to a potential candidate, uh, an employee here? And he's like, you know, a lot of people can dedicate their time to their practice. And there are a lot of people that come in that are able to do this type of work. But the one really deciding factor for us is whether or not that person can collaborate with other people, whether or not they're pleasant to work with, whether or not they can share ideas and respect opinions. And that to me speaks to, it speaks to how you're able to love other people, how you're able to express and collaborate with other people. And I think that's a really big part of why people gain the support of anybody in the job industry. I've mm -hmm. always been one of those people, not to toot my own horn, because I didn't really have the intention of coming across this way in any one of my job interviews. I always just, as, I always just approached every interview that I had in a way that was like, there are hundreds of people in this sort of industry that can do what I do. And so I'm not going to try and go at odds with those people. I'm just going to try and do the best that I can. When I would go into these interviews, I would always just try and be as genuine and authentic as a person by getting to know them more on a personal level. Yeah. Like I would try, I would try and, and bring a more human element, mainly because that's something that I called for. Like I, I don't like that sort of like fake superficial game that's played during interviews or even in in, in, in these sort of professional environments. For me, it's, it's so important that I connect with somebody as a human being first. And anytime I've done that, I feel like it's always kind of run in my favor, which yeah. is just being a good person and trusting that God is going to move you in the direction that you need to go through the love that you offer to other people. You know, you know I think that that's great interview advice too. Um, I've interviewed a lot of people and a lot more recently since I started my new job because we're um, expanding so fast. We're hiring so many people. That's always been kind of like the number one thing that I look for is how well does a person, I don't want to say communicate, um, but communication is a big, a big portion. How well do they connect? Like how well yeah. do they connect with the emotional side of me? Right. And uh, you can tell if somebody's being inauthentic and, you know, answering questions that in a way that they had like canned and ready to go in this neat little package that aren't yeah. really who they are. Right. But at the end of the day, people just want to talk to another human being and want to have want to have like some kind of emotional connection to them. So yeah. um, that's usually how I choose my candidates. Definitely, if, it, if it's honest work, then they will introduce and allow that sort of energy to allow and like to, to be in the space, given there are, you know, industries and entertainment that aren't so well versed in that. But I truly believe that regardless of whether or not you're in a sort of cutthroat type of environment or maybe a more philanthropist type of position, that if you're just authentically who you are and you crave connection, all you really need in order to be successful when it involves somebody else is for them to believe in you. They have to believe in you. Think about it. Like we spend so much of our time, not with family, but with our coworkers. Like all yep. of the majority of our time, there are people that spend 40 hours a week with their coworkers. You have eight hours of sleep, seven, eight hours of sleep, respectively. You have seven, eight, nine hours at work. And after work, you have only about maybe seven or eight hours of your own personal time to live life and connect and do all the things, including spending time with your family and your friends. And that's not a whole lot of time to do that. Right. But we absolutely have to spend time with the coworkers that we have. So for me, just in my own sort of personal life, it's so important that I am in an environment that is conducive to my own well-being, which is mm -hmm. working amongst people that have a shared sort of goal in loving their work because that that's also a, a, a way that it can negatively impact you. Say you come into work and you're feeling really good about what you're doing, but then you have five other employees on your team that absolutely hate their job. And everybody knows what it's like to be around negative employees. Oh, yeah. They can just completely ruin the momentum for you. They, yeah. Uh, negative employees are, uh, especially in a team environment, are like cancer. I mean, the second that negativity starts, it just spreads so fast. And it's really, really hard to contain once that cycle has started. You know what I mean? And that's a really good way and also good advice for um, people who are in a work environment where maybe they're not super happy to try to avoid gossiping, try to avoid negative talk about your work environment. If you just stop 
being negative and actually focus on the good things about your job and the good and the things that you actually like, because not all of it's bad. There are going to be elements of your job that you really do enjoy. If you focus on the good things and you're being positive, it will improve your satisfaction in the workplace. So, you know, just gossip and bitch sessions, um, you know, to one of your coworkers about your boss, about, you know, the organization or changes that they're making really does lower your vibration and it makes you even more unhappy and it makes you notice more things about the job that you don't like and about your coworkers that you don't like and just ultimately makes you miserable. So just be careful, be aware. And it's interesting how it always comes back to like a human thing, right? Mm-hmm. We, we like to think, okay, it's about the work. It's like, no, you're you're within a, a space, a combined space or whatever it is that you work amongst regular people. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to lose sight of that, especially if you're walking around in a suit, you don't really get to know what somebody's all about, yeah. right? You're always yeah. sort of going through your day at this sort of superficial surface level of interaction. And that's a really toxic thing. You can easily lose sight of the fact that the people that you work with are people right. that have jobs, that have uh, aspirations and goals and children. And that's the one thing that we really, really need to not lose sight of. And this is a, a really good metaphor when it comes to uh, reality and ego, right? Because the ego is the one that judges. It'll look at somebody and be like, oh yeah, that's my shithead boss. But if you're looking through the optics of God, you see a regular human being that mm-hmm. is probably getting his level of shit from up above and is really stressed and has his own anxieties and his own fears. And I think once you're able to look at somebody from a human perspective, regardless of what position that they're in, you can show up in a lot more authentic way. And that was the one thing that I know I noticed that I had to learn in my sort of professional life, which is seeing through the veil of how my ego wants to see people in positions of authority. Mm-hmm. Because when I was younger, I used to fear those type of people. And of course, you know, when you grow up as sort of like misunderstood teenager, you're just like, you know, fuck the hierarchy. These are the people that oppress. Oh, the, the oppression Olympics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that, that work below them. But then as I got mm-hmm. older, I started looking at those people. And maybe that was due to my, my sort of spiritual journey. I started looking at those people as just regular people. So whenever it is that I would interface with them, I didn't care that they were a manager. I didn't care that they made six figures. I didn't care whether or not they had the, the option to fire my ass if mm-hmm. they wanted to. I just showed up in my truest, most authentic self. And sure, there are times when I was moved into a different direction in life. And there were times when it was absolutely the right thing to do. And I think as long as you're tapped into that sort of baseline level of love inside of you, life will always navigate you in the direction that it needs to go. Just like you were saying, like speaking up for yourself may sound or may feel like a not a good idea. But if you get fired for speaking up, that could potentially be one of the greatest blessings in your life that'll Mm -hmm catapult you into another opportunity that's meant for you. And I've heard so many stories that are like that, you know, so don't fear, don't fear speaking up or speaking your truth. If something doesn't feel right to you, you end up having to lose your job for it. More often than not, at least from my experience, anytime that's happened, it's always redirected me. Like God has this way of redirecting you to a path that's more conducive to what you want, you know? You know, there's a way to speak up too. You can, you can speak your mind and you can be your true and authentic self in a respectable and polite way. (laughs) So I just want to remind people of that because it's uh, being on the other side too. It's hard. It's hard when people are hateful and mean and say mean things, especially when they don't really know what goes on behind the scenes. Unless they're a Karen, Jen. Unless they're a Karen. Unless they're a Karen, all bets are off. For sure. So the the journey is really, really important. It makes me think of um, this talk by Simon Sinek that he gave, and I really like him because he talks a lot about what we're talking about right now. Simon Sinek, he's the best. Just like, yeah, millennials in the workplace and how the, the work environment is very, very quickly changing. But he's like, you know, he was in this interview with this fellow and he was like, can you tell me when the exact moment was when you realized that you were in love with your wife? And of course, that's, I think that's a, a difficult question to answer for a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? Do you know yeah. the exact moment where the exact second, the exact time, 8.35 p.m. In, 50, in 15 seconds, do you know when you finally realize that you love your wife? And they're like, no, of course, of course not. Well, then the second question was, well, how do you, in the work environment, gauge whether or not a manager is a good manager or a leader is a good leader? Like, where, where's the catalyst? Like, where's the one moment where you sit and you'd be like, you know what, that's a good person. Like, I really like that leader. And so and that's hard to quantify too. And what he's trying to get at is there isn't an approximate sort of time because leadership, success as a leader or success in a relationship is something that organically happens over certain periods of time. Like when I think of relationships that I, I've been in where they're showing up for you as a partner, they're making you breakfast or 
if you're sick, they, they do their best to take care of you. Or if you're having a bad day and you come home and you're pissed off, they don't project. They hold space for you and listen. And then one day you wake up in the morning and that thought comes into your mind. It's like, fucking love this woman. Fucking love this woman. Aww. You know? But you can't, you, you, you can't quantify it. You can't gauge success and true love in this sort of one-dimensional way. It's something that takes a lot of time mm -hmm. and Typical. a lot of work yeah. and a lot of experience in order to arrive to that understanding of like what type of value something has. So I think approaching your work in the very same way is so important. Don't worry so much about the end result. Worry about what you learn about yourself in the process. What type of impact that you're making in the world. Learn from all of your mistakes and your failures. Expect to make mistakes Allow those things to happen. Be Feel comfortable with making mistakes and learning from them. And then one day you're going to wake up and be like, holy shit, I did it. This is what success feels like. And then you'll feel that success and you'll be like, all right, that's cool, but I still love what I'm doing. Yeah. Success is just a byproduct, you know? Well, in closing, I just have one thing, one more thing to share. Um, this was a cool work moment that I had this week. So um, one of my favorite bosses, Micah Schaefer, shout out to you. I know you don't listen to this podcast, but just in case somebody knows you. Coolest boss ever. He gave me some advice. He said, listen, don't get too high with the highs or too low with the lows. And he was like, as long as you, as long as you don't do that, you'll always be happy in what you're doing. And I was like, man, that's great advice. And I got, I got an opportunity to recycle his advice and pass that on to a young, young gentleman. Mm -hmm. And um, he asked me, he said, well, what advice do you have for your 28 year old self? And I was like, my 28-year-old self, don't get too high with the highs or too low with the lows. Those times that you were really successful and had a great month in sales and got a huge commission check, you know, don't don't let your ego take over and make you feel like you're a badass and you're better than everyone. And um, don't get too low with the lows. Say you got passed up for that promotion or, you know, uh, you had a terrible client meeting and uh, lost a deal or whatever, whatever the case may be. It's not the end of the world. It's not the last client meeting you're going to have. It's not the first sale you're going to lose and it won't be the last one, you know, so try not to dwell on it and let it ruin your day. Just pick up the pieces and move on. So, yeah. So it was kind of cool that I got to recycle that wonderful advice that, that Micah gave me to um, a younger person that was asking about career advice for, for their advancement. So that was cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's so important to not over-identify with money because, you know, it's this elusive thing in the exact same way that ego is. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes forget that money isn't a real person. Yeah. Like we somehow think that it has its own power, its own energy. I mean, it does have an energy because our energy yeah. is backed behind it, but it's not this sort of omnipotent little spirit, this omnipotent little energy that has a heartbeat that moves amongst life. You know, money is an object, you know? So the only way that you could really... Uh, in a sustainable way, be happy is by using love to power the ship and obtain money and wealth in that way. Yeah. Okay. So there's a quote that I have, and we can do this in closing. It says, this is from Albert Camus. He says, I continue to believe that this world has no ultimate meaning, but I know that something in it has a meaning, and that is man, because he is the only creature to insist on having one. And the reason why that's important is because when we look at everything else in nature, including animals, including the trees and the sun, everything that we coexist with on a regular everyday, day, everyday basis, we're the only creatures in life that are concerned with this question of meaning. Yeah. And so why is that? When everything around us is always permanently stuck in this sort of flow state, they're not asking questions, they're not striving to endeavor to be better than what they actually are. They're just perfectly doing what they do. And so human beings, in a lot of ways, can learn a lot from the nature that surrounds us. Instead of asking what the meaning of life is, you get to experience that meaning actively through the things that you do. That is the meaning. Like human beings are the meaning and the actions that we sort of exuberate amongst that dance is the meaning. So it's best not to intellectualize and go through your life trying to figure out what something means, where the impact is. It's like you got to engage with life because life is not a fixed point. It is not a concept. Like meaning mm -hmm. is not a concept. Meaning is action, right? right? So instead of looking at maybe meaning as a noun, Look at it as a verb. Instead of looking at God as a noun, look at God as a verb. Instead of saying God, say godliness. Because when we make things into a verb, they become a movement, they become a motion. And that's what meaning is. That's what love is. You always want to stay in constant motion. That's creativity. Osho says that creativity is a love affair with the unknown. And he also says that creativity is the greatest rebellion in existence. So always be creative. That also means going through life almost as a child. Like you don't know shit. I don't know shit. <laughs> 
Yeah. Sigmund Freud has this quote. The more I realize I don't know. Sigmund Freud has this quote. This is the very last one here. I had this good one. I was going to say it here, but it says, the great Leonardo remained like a child for the whole of his life. Even as an adult, he continued to play. And this is why he often appeared uncanny and uncomprehensible to his contemporaries. Right. So there's something about the creative energy that is very innocent. Because in order to access creativity, you can't use too much of your mind in order to get there. I think when the ego starts to personify and, and possess creativity, it gets into imitation. It gets into doing things for the wrong reason. So if you want to really tap into the most creative aspects of who you are, remember what it was like to be a child and play. Well, congratulations. Big congratulations to Jen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited. It's been a great experience so far. So, Yeah, she's changing yeah. lives. You are now... 100%, I would feel like uh, one of those those kings with the, the sword knighting mm-hmm. you. You are now in alignment with your highest truth. Oh, yeah. Right? It feels good. It feels good. Yeah. yeah. You can it's see still... the excitement and the fear in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a little bit of both for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and let Jen be an example to all those little cronies out there. If you're inspiring to do something that you love and passionate about. It's possible. It's possible because Jen makes it possible. You know, it reminds me of uh, the Candyman in um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He's like, the Candyman can because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. And that's exactly what Jen's doing with this company. Yeah. You're making the world taste good. Hopefully. You know? Yeah. 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 So be your own little Willy Wonka. Spread your love across the universe. Get to know yourself. What it is that you're about. Spend some time getting to know yourself. Everything will be okay. We'll get to this together. All right? Namaste, friends. Namaste. Oh, wait. I got oh. so involved in this whole thing, Jen, that I forgot to do the little shout-outs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys again for tuning in to Divine Nobody's Podcast. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us on divinenobodyspodcast.com. Go on our Instagram. Follow us. You could also, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you can go into the description and see the YouTube link to the episode. Like and subscribe and do all the things. And uh, we'll get to this thing all together. Namaste, friends. Namaste.